Welcome to HSDF the Podcast, a collection of timely and informative policy discussions brought to you by the Homeland Security and Defense Forum. In this second part of a two-part episode, Charlie Armstrong, former CIO at Customs and Border Protection, leads a discussion on tactical edge computing at DHS with Sonny Bagawalia, Assistant Commissioner and current CIO at Customs and Border Protection, and Scott Bowman, Deputy CIO, FEMA. This program was originally broadcast on September 23rd, 2022. So AC, you talked a little bit about new functionality that you're delivering in cloud. Uh, Have you done any modernization of old stuff while you've been migrating? I mean, uh, or has it just pretty much been a replatforming or? Yeah, I mean, no, in some cases, no. The answer is in some cases, it's completely new. Uh, In some cases, I got to change. Like, for example, the ACE collections, uh, we were the first agency in DHS to get the TMF funds and, you know, from ACE collections. So we actually also updated the COBOL code. And also we use mainframe as a service in the cloud. We were the, one of the first agencies to do that as well. So that's good, but still the mainframe, right? It's as a service, in, but kind of quasi-cloud with stuff going on. I won't name them vendor, you know, but it works. So, hey, I, I'm not nothing against that. Mainframes work, it's fine. But eventually I'd like to go completely cloud. I think the leap replatform, all of that stuff, we are getting more visibility by talking to these vendors and finding out exactly what the architecture is. When I was Treasury CIO, I, I, I remember I won't talk to the name of the company. I found out that we had a more in-depth deep dive into where their stuff was was traversing. And these these the vendor industry was really amazed. Why am I asking these detailed questions? The reason is we are all held accountable to statutory laws that have penalties associated with that. If there is a breach of data or, or something like that, we are held liable. So I wanted to make sure that through the entire transit, there's confidentiality, right, and availability and all the other good stuff that goes with it. So I, I, anyway, so all of that stuff is really, really important. So I think the answer is, in some cases, replatform, but a lot of new cases are completely new. And at the end of the day, cloud is what? It's application, platform, and infrastructure, you know? Mm-hmm. So I got to have all the things going. We have networking going with EIS and upgrading all of that to 5G and other, and now they're even talking about 6G before we're even doing 5G yet, right? And a lot of times they say 5G, but it's 5GE, which means it's not exactly 5G. It's, you know what I'm saying, it's quasi-5G. So we're looking at all these technologies, a lot of stuff going on in AI, ML, NLP, natural language processing, a lot of stuff going on in robotic process automation, a lot of Silicon Valley innovation that we're bringing in with through Schedule 880 innovation, we're also working with, uh, I guess we can say this is uh, CIA and QTEL kind of innovation that's coming in. So all of that stuff working is bringing some exciting technologies that are bring come, you know, coming in. But I'm keeping stuff going because, first of all, I got to keep the lights on and operations working, number one. And I'm happy to report that is going really well because I focused on that. I focused on a lot of good things you built. And so just keeping that going. So that is working really well. And so thank you for making sure that all that foundation was there. So that's working well. But now I can, with newer technology available from industry, I can sort of shift things out, so to speak, and bring things in. Privacy records is still a big issue for us. I will say data is the next big frontier. I'm going to be hiring a data chief data officer very soon. Data is the next thing. We're dealing in petabytes of information. I think making sure this stuff is available so that I can use data analytics on the fly I can do on-the-fly data visualization. All of that stuff is the future that I see is coming, uh, and I think the cloud will enable that. I think mobility with the cloud, 
making that stuff happen with new technologies like facial recognition with uh, and facial comparison, also more security, all of that stuff will be the future in my view. Mr. Bowman, uh, could you elaborate on that question a little bit? Yeah. So, as, you know, as far as, uh, you know, migrations, rehosting, lift and shift, modernization, what are we doing? Uh, all of the above. I think many organizations are in a, a similar situation where we have a lot of, uh, you know, legacy. And again, legacy is not a bad word, but we have a lot of legacy applications, you know, within FEMA. Uh, you know, I like to say, uh, you know, as a software developer, applications should not be old enough to drink, but we've got several applications that are over 21 years old, so they are old enough to drink. So initially, the plan was to modernize those as we go forward. We have a, a lot of uh, major enterprise modernization initiatives, our you know, financial systems modernization, our grants management modernization. And the thought was that these solutions would take over a, a lot of these legacy apps. And what we're seeing is there's been some delays there. So now we have legacy apps that are running another lifecycle iteration longer than we thought they were going to. So we're actually doing something that two years ago we said we would never do, that we were not going to do, absolutely weren't going to do it. And that's basically rehosting or or lift and shift, if you will, picking up uh, some of these legacy applications and moving them as is with very little refactoring, very little change and putting them in the cloud. Some of the reasons for doing that are these lifecycle iterations, buying the on-prem hardware, paying the on-prem cooling costs and power costs get to be very expensive. Specifically for FEMA, one of the things we have is we have to be able to support the maximum maximum for disasters. How big is the next disaster going to be? And without knowing that, I've got to have the hardware and software on-prem to support it today. So the scalability of the cloud and being able to move to the cloud. So with our individual assistance registrations, they may take a few hundred registrations a day on a normal day. And then a large hurricane hits or something like that. And we could be taking 100,000 registrations a day every day for weeks on end, similar to what we did in the 2017 hurricane season. So by moving some of these things to the cloud, it will allow us to run on a smaller footprint, less hardware, less software day to day, and then surge as needed. So that scalability of the cloud is, is a big plus for us, even running legacy applications in the cloud. Yeah, if I could just add one thing, uh, two quick examples, just one or two minutes here. Uh, first is ACE portal, that same system that processes the, you know, one, you know, like I said, four trillion. So, you know, 2.7 in, in imports, 1.6 in exports, trillion. That system, we have now come up with a portal that allows first to modernize. So there's CX, what used to be, you know, is not customer experience, right? Was you citizen experience, not customer experience. That whole thing is completely modern, along with multi-factor authentication. So it's something you know and something you have, along with that. So we have looked at almost 60,000 users, trade users in various communities, and they're having that experience. Now we've got to attest them, attest them and validate, make sure they're who they are. So identity management has become really, really key. I've also migrated SAP completely to the cloud. So who are the two things, who are the two people you got to keep happy in an organization? Uh, your boss and the CFO, right? So, so SAP is migrated to the cloud. They are seeing like, oh, wow, this is really working. So now I can have a different conversation as to how this cloud can benefit them and with the other stakeholders. So I think, Charlie, you know, this has been key. And I, I, hope, I think Scott would agree with me, is this conversation is enabling CIOs to get more street creds 
And we are absolutely being able to show that, hey, we're doing this together. Full transparency. You can see the dashboards. In fact, it's becoming so transparent. They're like, yeah, I got too many dashboards. Okay, I'm, I'm good. No, 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 I got more. No, 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 I'm good. No, 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 please. So my point is, and you know that's a big change for CIOs, right? And previously, like, yeah, I think you're hiding something from me. They're not. We are absolutely moving that forward. So I think that is really a new conversation. Well, thank you, gentlemen. We have a few minutes left. So I did want to just get to some of the questions from our virtual audience. And as a reminder for the folks in person, we, of course, are taking your questions. So we did get a great question from someone. Um, They were asking, with so many government agencies moving to cloud, how integrated are they? And for example, is it easy for CBP users to share data with DOD or vice versa? Mm. And does data have to be passed between users or is it cross-cloud yeah. access enabled? And I don't know if there's even some anecdotes between uh, CBP sure. and FEMA you might be able to share. So first of all, Operation Allies, welcome. We got the notice and the next day everyone's scrambling trying to figure out how we make this thing happen. We had DOD, obviously DHS, all the agencies here. We had State Department and others all working together, how do we solve this problem? And data sharing was intrinsically a part of that. Well, all things said and, uh, said and done, we have to make sure we can vet the folks who are coming in. Who are they? Some of them are running from uh, persecution, or, you know, and they literally had to burn documents. Otherwise, they may not have survived. Mm-hmm. How do I still make that happen? Well, guess what? CBP already had some groundbreaking technology that we have a global ecosystem already working. We've processed 500 million people over the last four years, whatever, if you take a look at it. Successfully at 99.5 to 99.8% you know, uh, uh, efficiency within uh, that two-second adjudication stuff I'm talking about with additional vetting on the high side. We use an ATS uh, global facial with the mobile. We gave it to DOD. They were able to, anyone could just take that information, send it in. We did all the vetting on this side and checked all that information coming in and out to the point that uh, I'll just say that DOD was like blown away. Who's, who, who's got this technology? It was, it was DHS. It was us. And so that's one example. I, and other, another example is an immigration journey. You know, we have unified immigration portal and, uh, and now we have HHS, DHS, all the components within DHS and now DOJ coming in. So how we can integrate that journey with the unified immigration portal. My point is these things are happening. Do we have everything yet? No, absolutely not. There's a long journey ahead in terms of why is that? I think what people need to appreciate is that there are a lot of statutory and statutes that we have to comply with. And it's not as easy just to kind of poo-poo that. These are real, these laws and legal things are making it more difficult. We can easily do this, but we got to get the policy that goes with that. So sometimes technology gets in front of policy and that's a problem, right? And so that whole thing needs to be changed. But the answer to your question is absolutely. And working with, for example, FEMA, they're tracking Fiona at the moment. You know, FEMA is obviously the main agency that goes forward. We track it in terms of what's happening on our side. And uh, so I think this is going to be a growth area for information sharing in the cloud. I don't know, Scott. Totally agree. I I think the technology is there and it's a a possibility and capability that, that exists. And we have that set up with a lot of our partners already. But you know, having to do it on the fly, you know, your statements of records notification, your data sharing agreements, there's a lot of process governance policy and laws that go into who you can share data with, how you can share the data. So having those things adapt to the speed of the cloud, we're not there yet, but it is improving and getting better. And and by the way, the only reason why all this works is when you have a common mission. When stuff is happening and all these things are coming at you and everyone wants to work together, 
it really it, it's really amazing what we can do and i think the government's doing a heck of a good job actually thanks to industry as well who are supporting us right. no those are both great answers and really help to clarify that point and i think we do have an audience question Hi, I'm Fatma Akhtar, and I had a question around climate and sustainability. So as we move to the cloud, and it's one of the strategic elements of um, FEMA's strategic plan is to make sure that we are taking climate change into consideration. So what are you all doing as we move to the cloud and to operate more effectively in the cloud in regards to climate and sustainability? One thing that I would say is just the the move to the cloud and decreasing the on-prem data centers. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, one of the issues with FEMA and having to have that almost unlimited scalability on-prem means that I'm running that every day. So that that right there in and of itself is taking into account a lot of power, a lot of cooling. So, you know, just moving to the cloud will help, you know, climate change from that perspective. We're going to con- consume less power, less air conditioning, things like that as we go forward. Also, uh, leveraging collaboration tools in the cloud, cutting down on greenhouse gas emissions as we don't have to travel as much. We're teleworking a lot more. We can work with our partners so they, we don't have to drive from one office to another office. You know, that that's another area. Looking at a, a electrifying uh, our, our fleet internally. You know, th- there's a lot of things going on uh, within FEMA related to climate change. And those are some of the things within the, the mission support area that we're looking at. Also ensuring that uh, we have the ability, you know, with the data center, you've got failover capability. So if we were to have issues on the East Coast, we can fail over to the West Coast and we don't have outages like we used to in the past. So if, you know, if we're running in the California data center and they lose power or have a brownout, we could transfer to the East Coast and, and run there. So there are some flexibilities that we gain with moving to the cloud as well. Yeah, I'll just say that uh, obviously when this journey started, uh, what's little was not known as well, but there was a report that Vivek started before he did the policy, and that study is what we did at the time, was how many servers there are in the government and what was the PUE and efficiency ratings of this, right? And then he came up with the first policy, which was 40% reduction of servers at the time by a certain date. And then also the PUE efficiency. That PUE was never really investigated more. But as we go to LEEDS-based data centers and all these green data centers and emissions and all that kind of stuff, that is one measure. Now, what has not been corroborated or correlated is what happens with that number in the data center vice what's in the cloud and how much stuff you're comparing. So I don't know if anyone's done a study on that. That's a very good question. I don't know the answer to that question. But I would submit to you, I think it's probably we have saved, you know, we are doing better. We're certainly doing better in terms of the number of servers and data centers that we cut. So I think from that standpoint, both those are positive things. In addition to the fact that there is now more focus on a green approach. So we have a green trade strategy. We're doing sustainability, but not at the cost of just like coming up with some fictional technology that doesn't work. I mean, you know, stuff's got to work. When I need 100 amps, I need 100 amps now. (laughs) I need 100 amps to work. And so I think if that's the case, if solar and others can give me that continuously with all the other things that I have to do with Six Sigma level availability for a tier four data center, the answer is absolutely we're looking at that. And I think that carbon footprint is going down. I drive an electric vehicle, by the way, but I do have an SUV too. So I, I said that earlier. I like my SUV too, and you know, so I balance it out. And Charlie, I think I will turn it over to you for any final thoughts from your panelists or any final questions you might have. Just like in a nutshell, what would you like to see out of industry going forward? And I always think back, Sonny, when I was in your job, 
you know, the big challenge we had around moving between data centers was the ability to have yeah. the, the bandwidth to move the volumes of data back and forth, yeah. right? A lot of that's gotten solved over the past few years, but not not without a lot of beating of knuckles and uh, talking to folks and, and, you know, adopting new methodologies that allow us to scale up those pipes and scale down those pipes. And I just use that as a frame of reference. What, so what are those types of things, you know, that, that are kind of top of mind for you all that you would like to see industry really hit hard on that make your life easier? Yeah, so I, I look at industry from two stand, standpoints. I've been in industry in a Fortune 30 company, uh, sort of served there, so I know what that value proposition is, having served also in the government. I think first things first, we're in this together, and what are the services that you can do for the mission? I think it energizes people. It's not just about money. It's about mission. People love that stuff. When they see that they do something that's, that is value added, is something. So I think that's, that's one. I'd like to see more enterprise service catalogs of services that's available with clear definitions. It's almost like, uh, you know, clear uh, uh, accounting of what's what comes with it. So I know absolutely beyond the shadow of a doubt, like a blockchain or something, you know, I know what's in there. So that, that would be a second thing. I think automation, if that's all automated and works and it provides me a service, I'm, I'm happy with that. If platform as a service, infrastructure as a service, software as a service, whatever that is, I'm good with it. I think standardization, uh, there was a question earlier about how does CVP work with industry on that biometric entry exit, handling all these hundreds of millions of passengers. The answer is, this is the, the reason why that's a genius of system is that it's not a government-managed system. We have just put the standards out there. And so we do our part of it, and then the, and then the industry meets us at those standards, and then we process that. So that's an incredible government-industry partnership. So I think something like that, I think, is going to be the future as we're getting to these new worlds of stuff that's going on. I like to see more innovation come in. One of the things that reason why these RPA and AIML and all these projects and innovation projects are so successful, I've got 136 in, in, uh, innovation projects run by the commissioner's office. My CTO is just a, is supporting that, but I'm not the lead on it. Even on the RPA and the AIML projects, I have taught them how to fish. Anyone in, in our stakeholders can do the job. They just have to register with me. They know how to use some of the tools. I help them with consulting if they need be. I like industry to provide those services. There's plenty of room for everyone. There's plenty. We're talking, you know, we have a multi-million dollar, multi-billion dollar budget. There's a lot of opportunity to bring this in. And this is what excites people. So I think, I think that innovation and excitement is, I feel like, is, is the perfect mix that needs to come in. I'd also talk about the G word, governance. It's a word that people don't understand. and they don't, Governance could be anything from configuration management and engineering level lifecycle on CI/CD pipelines, all the way up to governance of data, governance of ethics in AIML using cloud. So I think all of these services we are uh, we are going to be uh, you know putting out there. We are going to just put out the enterprise small business contract. So small business, we are putting more more of this. So stay tuned. It's just going to be announced, uh, and or maybe I announced it. There's uh, we actually we have done that. It's the RFI is already out there. So that's that's going to be one. ECIS is a cloud-based uh, uh, service that we're looking for, and we want people to help us. That's another one. We're already working on EIS uh, right now. There's a lot of stuff that's coming out, innovation. There's going to be some stuff on innovation. There's stuff on data. So I think all these things from industry. I'm looking for industry just bring qualified people. Don't give me labor categories that are like, you know, $7,000, you know, what an hour or whatever. Just give me some categories of folks where, you know, a lot of people, it's not just money. They come in, they love the work. I've got people working with me right now. They can easily triple their salary, even in, even in industry. 
triple that, but they love the work. So I think there's a good balance there. So a lot of good work to do, transparency in the government, we can do better. They can participate with us. I think I think there's bright horizon ahead. And so I think, I just think a lot of positivity up ahead for us. I would say, you know, continue with the reliability and the availability, you know, on knock on wood. It's been pretty good, but uh, even uh, large cloud service providers are not immune to an outage every once in a while. Yes. So as we move <laughs> these critical services uh, to the cloud, you know, please, you know, keep everything up and running and operational. You know, a financial model that, that works better with the government, you know, that's been one of our big challenges yeah. is making sure we've got that financial model in place that works well with the way the government works. You know, in the government, uh, if you want money, you should have asked for it two or three years ago. Uh, so that's a challenge. It's difficult to get to get money right now, today or tomorrow. So as you introduce new technologies, we may want to invest and move forward in that, but it takes planning and time. So we're trying to put things in place so that we're ready to modernize. Moving forward, uh, the machine learning RPA, we're definitely going in those directions. And our customers are helping drive those directions because they have the requirements. And I, I totally agree with what you said, Sonny. Teach them the fish. Let them start doing this. As we get more into low code and no code, how can we empower our, you know, not just the, the technical IT people, but our, our users and our business users to do it themselves so that they can be the ones out there and, you know, it becomes a force multiplier when they're able to do these things and automate their own processes. Again, there's governance, there's security, there's management that we have to have those controls and that overlay, but it's exponential when we can get them to do those things on their own. Yeah. If I could just say one thing, the supply chain security, watch out for supply chain security. Y'all are just as targeted as we are. Don't be fooled. The insider threat, the external threat, the level of sophistication of what they're doing with uh, zero zero day attacks, log four J level ten out of ten security problem. I see industry, I deal with industry, and I can tell you, sometimes people think, well, government is not far ahead. Government is way ahead in some areas, but it doesn't really help me if I'm ahead or you're ahead. Doesn't really matter. If we are connected, we both need to be ahead together. <laughs> so I look at it as this is an America problem. We are all, you know, here in America. We're serving the U.S. government. We're serving the United States of America. Get it done. Let's go and talk to each other and figure that out on cyber. So cybersecurity supply chain is a big area of, of concern for us. And I think, uh, as you mentioned, the accountability, uh, fixed price, cost plus. I know, you know, a lot of challenges here. But if you have some other ideas, give us those ideas as to how we can do better. Because acquisition, agile acquisition is still, a, is still a, I guess, a hope for us. So we'll just leave it at that. The, the agile acquisition, the agile cybersecurity, it's, you know, the, we have agile programming, but the, the other parts of it haven't quite caught up. And another thing, uh, FedRAMP, you know, making sure that everyone knows what, what comes with the FedRAMP approved environment and what doesn't. Uh, we've had a lot of vendors tell us, oh, you can do this and you can do that. And then you find out that, well, you can't do that in FedRAMP or that service isn't available in FedRAMP. So just ensuring that uh, everyone knows uh, what which environments we're talking about. Yeah. Well, if I could ask the audience to give us a big round of applause for these two great servants to the U.S. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening. Subscribe today so you never miss an episode of HSDF The Podcast. And visit hsdf.org for more information about the Homeland Security and Defense Forum.